0: Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. Today, we are back with another Brokers Roundtable, diving into, is office the new retail? That was a point that you know Adam had brought up last time that we were on the show, and I figured it'd be really good for us to dive into that a little bit further. Adam comes from the retail world, and Jesse here with us comes from the office world. So while we're waiting for Adam to join us, Jesse, kind of talk about... Um, i guess let's just get an update on office over the last five or so years
1: sure um okay so big time horizon um i guess or three years since pandemic yeah (laughs) yeah let's say um let's say in the past three years uh for most of the major markets that we track which for us as a company uh, avison young's um just over 80 offices worldwide a lot majority being in North America. Uh, We chatted a little bit about it on the last podcast. Uh, A lot of these major markets were extremely hot for uh, office, for a lot of asset classes, um, and we had low vacancies. uh, And pretty much uh, a lot of these markets were landlord markets. Uh, I I know for us, a lot of the major markets that we dealt with were that way, and that tenants didn't have a lot, really a lot to negotiate with, depending on uh, obviously where you're situated. that's changed, obviously, uh, over the last uh, couple years. Um, it was kind of the double whammy of having people out of the actual office physically because of uh, because of lockdowns. Uh, but then also with just the economy in general, um, I think that companies learned how to transition to uh, not necessarily have to be in the office for certain tasks and certain things uh, that different companies were doing. So. From our point of view, uh, what we've seen over the the last short term in the capital market side is it's very hard to value this asset class right now because there's just been a limited amount of trades. And just like we talked about transitory inflation um, over the last couple of years, the question of whether this is kind of a transition and where that vacancy is gonna end up being with office is a bit of an unknown. We talked a little bit last time about the conversion of office buildings I think the jury's still out on the majority of buildings or sorry, the amount of buildings that you can do that on from what I've seen, uh, you know, maybe it's 15, 20% of buildings actually physically can be converted. Um, but then there's the question of do the economics make sense. So I guess just to kind of uh, lay it out right now, I think that the big thing is that we've, we've seen a transition on vacancy quite a bit since the pandemic. Um, we've seen the asset class very difficult to value because of the lack of trades and, uh, just the fact that vacancies really we don't know where they're kind of gonna flesh out uh, we know people are not fully back um, and if you go online there's a number of different trackers that track cell phone data in major um, you know downtown areas to see if people are returning um, and even that you know a lot of major markets have still not fully returned so you know the, it's just another challenge in how we look at this asset class and, and ultimately value it
0: yeah, it, make, it makes sense to me. I mean, I think that you've got to really qualify which type of office space you're talking about, just like what people were saying back in the day like, all retail is dead. Well, no, it's not. And the fact that we still have as much retail as we have today and the fact that there is still a lot of retail in development today really proves that that's not the case. You know, I had somebody try to argue with me that, you know, office space in Texas is completely dead. And I went in and looked up the, you know, vacancy rates and, and uh, absorption rates in in Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin, and maybe San Antonio. And yeah, it's going to be different between the cities, but Dallas, Fort Worth is doing fine, right? I mean, you you might have some corporate headquarters that are slowing down or pulling back or, or reorganizing. But, you know, I mean, let's take my portfolio, for example, we've got Class B office space in the suburbs. And... That's crushing it, you know. I mean, we we're more full in our office buildings than we ever have been.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think one other point uh, that we've seen in all majority of the major markets, I shouldn't say all, is that the sublease space has gone. You know, everybody's trajectory is a little bit different, but what we saw is you know, the knee jerk reaction of a lot of sublease space for our market. I think we went from, you know, 700,000 square feet to 3.9, you know, over 4 million square feet. And that was a a, kind of an understandable, a lot of companies didn't know what they were going to do with their space. They put it on the sublease market, saturated the sublease market and some markets you've seen that pull back. And then other markets, you've seen a little bit more stickiness, depending on what's in the development pipeline and and what kind of absorption or availability there is in, in those markets for head lease space. So that's another point um, I would say, though, a nice thing with that from a tenant point of view is that you now have landlords that never had to compete with sublet space. Let's put it that way, with discounted space that all of a sudden need to really compete because there is a lot of sublease space out there in, in major markets that looks beautiful, fully turnkey um, and is you know trading at an actual face rate discount.
0: Yeah, I, uh, Chad, I bet you're sitting over there, you know, since you're industrial,
3: you're like, "What? what is sublease? What does this mean? <laughs> as tight you know, as that you know. market always is. <laughs> Yeah, we're not seeing a whole lot of sublease space uh, right now. I'd love to just chime in on the office side as a bit of an outsider on it. But before I even do that, I did a 3,700 square foot office lease in an industrial building a couple months ago, and I won the CoStar Power Broker Award for office deal of the quarter, which goes to show the 3,700 square foot deal was noteworthy enough uh, to actually make that list, which I'm... It's almost embarrassing that I can now call myself an office broker, having done 3,700 square feet, <laughs> uh, but that there's not That's a awesome. lot of deals going on right now. Uh, wh- what I find interesting, and I'd love to hear Adam and Jesse comment on this, is that there's such a large portion of the workforce that is refusing to go back to work, and they're fired up about it. Uh, I, I lurk on social media sometimes where someone will say, will make a, a comment or a post about, oh, people are returning back to the office, or this employer is uh, mandating that people return back, and the comment section is overwhelmingly negative about how much they refuse to go back. So I kind of look at it that there's there's good office and there's bad office, just as like during the, the pandemic when, when some of the stores were shut down, like that could have been called bad retail, but there was still great retail uh, during that time. And it, there's been that bifurcation between like the good stuff and the bad stuff. Uh, and I have to think it's the same with office, where I still love going into the office, uh, but I can also completely understand why some people just do not ever want to go back. You know, you you think about driving downtown and fighting through the traffic and going into the parkade, taking the elevator up, all the work in a cubicle with no natural light. And you're you're isolated in this area and you're like, I hate everything about this. And then you got to do it in reverse to get home versus just working from your house. I can completely see why some people are are just so fired up about refusing to go back, and I don't know how that changes. Like that, this seems to be something that's going to be deeply rooted for the foreseeable future. But I, I'm not an expert on it. I'm just uh, a co-star power office broker now,
2: so I, I need to know. Things. I need to get into that's the loop great. so I can talk the lingo. I think part of it has got to be macroeconomic, right? I mean, we're we're in a point of such low unemployment that the employees have a a tremendous amount of power and, and can just frankly say, we're not going back to the office, no matter how wonderful it is. Um, I think it's, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're not heading to a drastic change in that, but it it does seem like, you know, once there is a power shift back to the employers, where there are more, you know, people than there are jobs, uh, then there's going to be a lot more ability for a landlord to, to, you know, required that you're coming into the office at least three or four days a week. And and we're seeing that everywhere from, you know, when I talk to my clients in Manhattan all the way down to Charlotte, it seems like the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is back in a, in a pretty big way. It's really Mondays and Fridays that are still really light. And honestly, I can feel it when I'm just out on the roads. Um, and I'd love to hear everybody's take on You know, the amount of money and players that are sitting on the sidelines waiting for, you know, a basis shift to happen. Obviously, that's a really polite way of saying, you know, some things are going to go back to the bank that weren't bought at the at the best time in the world. Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier that it's hard to to change these buildings to multi or hospitality or things like that. I mean, it gets a lot easier when, you know, somebody's equity gets wiped out and you're and you're buying it for a, a much more attractive basis.
1: For sure. I think um, I was just going to say that I think that's a point that, that Adam made that you don't hear a lot of, that very often, which is something I think is overlooked about the dynamic between employers and um, employees right now because it definitely is this idea where a lot of these, there's there's a kernel of truth with a, with a lot of these uh, individuals saying, I don't wanna go back to the office, I don't need to go back to the office this many times a week. But there is like that compounded by what Adam just said, the fact that you're in a market right now where there is a, a bit of a mismatch in terms of power, where because the job market, Canada and the US, it's so tight right now, even with the potential for uh, you know, a recession down the road, that you're in a dynamic where, it employers can say three days a week, four days a week, they can mandate what they want. But I think they saw, you know, six months ago, a year ago, they tried, a lot of employers tried to mandate it. And then they realized that, you know, all of a sudden they didn't really have the teeth for those mandates. So where it ends up, I think it might be that there is that shift a year or two down the road where it kind of balanced things out. But I think it's a good point. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that piece.
0: Yeah, that's, I I thought that was really interesting. I've never thought about that before with the power dynamic being in the, employees hands right now, because there are so few, I guess, people out there looking for jobs, because they already have jobs. I mean, you know, Nashville has been at a record low for years, which is which is wild to believe and And it's good. Um, Obviously, you want everybody to have jobs, but it makes you wonder, like what that's kind of going to imply for the future of some of these businesses, and and real estate overall, right? Because if there are, I mean, I don't see with declining birth rates, how we're going to all of a sudden have an overwhelming amount of new employees coming into the market. Right? So is this the new norm? Like, is this where we're just going to be from now on?
2: Uh, everything's a pendulum, right? I mean, it, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that this is, this is the new, new norm forever i think that in the same way that inflation had to cool in the same way that you know everybody was playing with free money and and you know the rules of of borrowing money didn't exist anymore i mean it's just i think we're in a really unprecedented i don't want to say unprecedented because i'm, I'm too young to say unprecedented but i i think we're in a an odd time and i think that the next recession that we have is is going to you know, whether it's the one that we're in or not in right now, nobody nobody tends to know, or, or whether it's one that, that's going to sneak up and grab us here in a couple of years, I think that it'll be more of the same. I, I think that there'll be a lot of people that were making a you know cushy six-figure jobs that are going to have to go back into the workforce and will gladly show up. Once that car payment's due, they'll gladly uh, get in it and drive 30 minutes to their office again. So, um, I mean, I, I tend to look at things through like a macroeconomic lens, maybe too often, but I think that I think that these answers, these are all these questions are all going to get answered over the next decade.
3: One one thing that that I find interesting as well, and going back to the earlier point about how I understand why a lot of people would like to work from home, I do think it carries a risk on the opposite side, where if an employer is allowing employees to work from home. And maybe this doesn't come to fruition right away. Maybe this is a trend that develops over time. But if they're allowing an employee or a group of employees to work from home, why do they need to have that employee? Why do they need to have somebody in Nashville working at home when perhaps they can offshore that and have somebody working in India or have somebody working in China? Maybe there's a company that takes advantage of this and offers a one-stop solution where you can replace the people working from home at a much cheaper job of labor wise in another market maybe it's even mexico maybe it's somebody in a small town in 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 rural america who can just do it cheaper because the cost of living is less being in rural america than living in nashville i think that that is a huge risk that the office workforce has maybe it doesn't happen i, may, I, I could just be reading the tea leaves that that don't come to fruition but if that did happen, if companies start saying, I don't need to pay $100,000 a year for somebody to work at home who lives in San Francisco, when I can pay somebody in rural Wisconsin uh, to do the exact same job, and it can pay them much less, I do think that is a risk from for people that work from home. And, and another th- point that I'd have on that uh, as well, and I'm, I'm, somewhat uh, agnostic on this. I don't know if I have a horse in the race on this, but if an employee did want to advance in the company, I think it's going to be very difficult to do if you're only doing virtual calls like we are right now. This is great. This this allows the four of us from all over North America to get together, but there, it'd be very hard to have that personal relationship with your boss or, or just the company in general if you're only doing virtual calls and you're only working from home. So I completely, again, understand why people want to work from home. But I think the long term risk, and Adam mentions this with the, the pendulum, the long term risk on this is that it, it might, they might place themselves out of a job, or at least there's the risk that they could place themselves out of the job. So I don't think the story's anywhere close to being fully told. And we're probably in the early chapters of what's going to be a long book. Yeah. I think... Yeah. I mean, go ahead, Jesse. That's oh,
1: right. I was just gonna say, I think it's a discovery process for both sides, both the employers and employees. Employees are starting to realize what can be done at home, and employers are as well. But to your point, Chad, like I think over the '90s and early 2000s, and you know, Tyler, you know this, it, a lot of downtown areas still employed call centers in in downtown, you know, local call centers with local. Uh, talent and employees where those were eventually offloaded to the suburbs and sometimes overseas. So I think there's going to be that that happen over the next few years where there's a discovery from employers that that there are certain jobs that they can offload. And then to your point of like, you know, somebody that's in a rural area, but that's still in the US or Canada. You're gonna, you know, your benefits are gonna not gonna have to be as high. Uh, you know, your salaries for downtown, and and maybe even, like I said, maybe even it's an overseas job where they there is that discovery process on the on the employer side as well.
0: Yeah, before I jump in on that, uh, Jules is saying congratulations on the co award, Chad. <laughs> I think that's pretty great uh matthew is saying there are a lot of vas from the philippines in the residential real estate market currently that was part of the point that i was going to bring up i mean if you look at what happened in manufacturing over the last 50 years a lot of that was shipped overseas because it was cheaper right so i mean we already have a precedent for this in the united states it's not like this has never been done before uh you know one of my really good friends he has a 10 or 15 person uh, company And I don't think a single one of his employees is in the United States because he's a software developer, right? And so he's got employees in, you know, Ukraine and Argentina or wherever they are. And, you know, I'm I'm talking with a group because we're looking at maybe starting a a residential wholesaling company. Uh, I would just be investing in it. I don't know anything about that stuff. But uh, they've got this team put together. And, you know, digging into that, I mean, these VAs are making calls. They speak fluent English. They don't have an accent. And you're paying them three to five dollars an hour, which sounds like nothing to us. And you know, obviously, that's a massive cost savings compared to what you would have to pay somebody here. But in you know, those three to five American dollars in their country is like twice what the average person gets paid. So it's an incredible um, you know hourly pay or, or salary, however you decide to set it up. So and, and they can do quite a bit of the same things that we can. So, I mean, I think y'all make really good points about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a model that's been active for a number of years on the residential side. I think one thing that's, you know, we've used VAs in the past for various things. And I'm sure, uh, you know, all you guys have as well. When it comes to the cold calling and wholesaling, it's it's fairly easy. You know, they, they get on a dialer. A lot of those VA companies have done it. it. It is possible on the commercial side. The only challenge is your, well, one of the challenges, it's finding the kind of corporate entities that own buildings and piercing the veil there and teaching them how to, you know, if you, you call a number that you need to have a corporate search, you know, you got to go through one more layer, find the individual. So there's just that extra layer rather than just getting on a a dialer for, for residential. But I think it's coming. I think that we're starting to see a lot of of what has happened on the residential side, Uh, you know, five, 10 years ago, starting to, you know, be something where the commercial guys are like, Oh, you know, we can, we can use VA's in the same way. Just need to tweak a few things.
0: Yeah, it's really difficult to, to do that on the commercial side, because it, it's so easy in residential, because you can just buy these lists that have a phone number tied to the house. You cannot do that in commercial. And, you know, we, we're trying to figure it out, because I would love to find a way to to do some sort of commercial real estate wholesaling company. But, you know, even if you do figure that out, then you've got the problem of how complicated the transactions are, and the buy side, the financing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's a whole different beast. But I mean, let's assume that you're a marketing company, right? And you you typically send out business development reps or a title company, right? I mean, I see this all the time, they'll have business development reps that go to the Chamber of Commerce, and they go and to these network events. I mean, what's to stop a group like that from just outsourcing cold calling to a VA overseas? And, you know, really having somebody working for you almost 24 seven, instead of just a business development person that may or may not show up at an event, it it starts to create this really interesting environment to where, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, fast food workers when they were wanting, you know, $15, $20 an hour, and now we're starting to see fully automated McDonald's. I mean, you you got companies that are almost just taking the employees out of the equation.
2: Yeah, I'd love to, it, I, don't, I don't mean to, I don't know anything about, you know, restaurant automation, but uh, that's a, it's definitely something that I, I think is the future. But I'd love to, while we're talking about this kind of apocalyptic, clickbaity kind of kind of kind of topic, I'd love to understand from the office guys what opportunities you think are, are going to be created from this thing. Like the obvious one is is how do we repurpose the existing assets? But are you starting to hear of people like looking at like maybe a hub and spoke model where? You know, maybe, maybe your tower is still in a CBD, but you're building small satellite co-working uh, offices closer to where your population lives or, you know, some kind of really interesting maker studios that are out where people live. I just, you know, it, it fascinates me to, to think of how, you know, times like this are always the mother invention, right? Like around corners a little bit more because they have to. Has anybody heard of of anything that's kind of caught their ear, caught their eye, where people are starting to use this kind of CBD meltdown or or whatever you want to call it as as an opportunity to, to come out with a totally new product or a totally new service?
3: One that I've heard, and I don't think it's going to have enough of an impact to materially change the downtown market, but is vertical farming. And that there's just a lot of opportunity in that vertical farming space where you you can grow year-round. I'm in an area where we get pretty cold, so you, you need to have the ability to either grow locally or import it. Uh, and vertical farming, we've, we've done a handful of industrial deals now in, with vertical farms, but if they can get really cheap space in downtown markets and convert that into just farming areas, again, it's not going to make it big enough of a chunk to change the high vacancy rate problem but i think that there will be other creative uses like that perhaps self-storage perhaps that maker studio space that you mentioned i just don't know if it's going to move the needle all these different uses that can come in versus repurposing it all together i i i could be way off on this but i I think that there's just going to be a significant pricing adjustment in that office space and it's similar to a stock you buy a stock for $100 and it drops to $30 that's just what the price is now whereas I think a lot of people especially in real estate there always just seems to be this attitude that nobody likes losing money in real estate so if it was $100 everyone still thinks that it will be $100 again in the near future the reality is that it's worth a lot less now I think office space is just worth a lot less than it was four years ago and the people that. to that and accept that, we'll realize that they took a calculated risk investing in something and the bet hasn't turned off. I just don't see any way around the fact that there's just going to be way more office uh, space, be way more supply than there is demand. And I don't know how the market reconciles that in the next few years. And vertical well, farming and is... Been, is... Um, Go ahead, Adam.
2: Well, I was, I was going to say there's been so many examples of that on a geographic basis, right? Like nobody is shocked that the office price falls in Detroit or Flint, Michigan and, and doesn't rebound in, in two years. Right. Because the, the price in Nashville and the price in Charlotte and the price in Austin and Atlanta are worth, you know, subsequently a tremendous amount more. So it makes sense to what you're saying is like, Hey, Hey guys, like you bought at the Rhine the wrong time. There's gotta be some kind of stabilization before this is going to get back to to neutral.
0: Yeah, vertical farming is starting to really gain some traction. We we talked to a group about building a new facility for vertical farming. And, you know, infrastructure aside, like building ground up, those facilities is really expensive. I mean, it wasn't a huge building, it was pretty decent size, I can't remember how many square feet exactly it was going to be, but it was going to be about a 20 to $30 million development. Um, because the infrastructure is crazy now if they can get a better location downtown and an office building that's tall enough and most of those buildings already have infrastructure to them you're going to have to retrofit the interior infrastructure for sure i could see that working Um, chad and jesse one thing i want to volley to y'all that i've I've started hearing rumblings about that i think is is uh, at least intriguing is vertical flex space um you know depending on where you are flex space is not um too far off on lease rates from regular office space. I mean, it's, it's kind of wild how expensive that has gotten. Now, there are obviously some serious logistical issues with vertical flex space, namely, how are you going to handle loading docks? How are you going to handle freight elevators and stuff like that? But to me, that seems like actually the easiest thing to convert office space into if you've got the right layout, you know, as opposed to multifamily, which you'd have to completely redo everything. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I'll just say on on flex space in general, uh, we've seen definitely um, more it it being more attractive. And, you know, for those that have, uh, you know, whether it's from our market, at least it's usually on the periphery of the downtown cores where you have this flex space. A lot of times it's either office guys and gals that don't mind being a little further away from the city or it's industrial light industrial use where they can get away with a flex uh, building Um, on the vertical flex space. I mean, the concept makes sense, I think. I I don't have a lot of uh, experience with how that dynamic would play out in our market. I I think logically it makes sense that those would be up for conversion uh, or up for, uh, you know, the uh, contemplation from uh, from the tenant community. I would say this, though, one of the things we were just talking about before of the uh, the, you know, Chad was saying that you think kind of prices need to hit a bit of an equilibrium um, and then people will adjust. I think I think that is true. I think we're also one of those markets that we talked about it or one of those sectors we talked about this last time where we can keep face rates, you know, not we can keep them static and still lower our NERs. Right. We can still, you know, give uh, inducements. We can still. And yeah, other people can do that. But usually, you know, you go to Walmart, you see a thousand dollar TV. Um, they can't discount that TV to $600 and keep the price at a thousand, right? They just don't have the levers to offer all these different things. So I think that all that to say is we haven't really seen the actual price adjustments yet. I think over the next year or two where landlords, they're out of inducements to give, where we actually do see those face rates come down. And then at that point, I think the market will react a little bit more to whether they find it, um, an actual case to be made that we're going to pay this price and move downtown because the prices are low enough. So um, on the vertical stuff, though, I, you know, I defer to chat on that one. Um, It's it'd be interesting to see how that would play out.
3: I'm a bit skeptical that there's a whole lot of feasibility there from the standpoint that these tenants are all very price sensitive. So a lot of these office buildings, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I am a co-star office power broker. So I do know what I'm talking about here. Uh, A lot of these office buildings, their operating costs are 20 bucks a square foot. So by the time you factor in their property taxes, CAM, insurance, maintenance, they have security guards, they have all the different types of amenities that go in there. Their operating costs alone are often more than what a gross industrial lease rate would be. So for a tenant to go and consider an office building, if they got free rent uh, and still had to pay the operating costs, would they be better, and perhaps they're not even on the main floor if we are talking true vertical integration here. Uh, would they be on the third, fourth, fifth floor? How practical is that when they're only going to have nine, ten foot ceilings? They're they're not going to have, they're going to have loading issues, as you mentioned. They're probably going to have some power issues. There's all sorts of things that creep into it versus just going and leasing a, a true industrial space that has none of those limitations for less or equal to the operating costs on an office building. So there could be somebody, there might be somebody that sees the opportunity to have synergies with other tenants in the building, maybe their law firms are one of their customers are there, who knows, just they want to be in that downtown core with the energy, possibly, but I'd be skeptical that it'd be a meaningful amount beyond someone almost doing it for cool factor, as opposed to making a prudent business decision.
0: Man, I'd love to see somebody that has taken an office building and retrofitted it into something creative. I mean, there there has to be case studies out there. I'll look that up after we get off this podcast and uh, maybe share with you guys if I can find it. But surely somebody's done something unique. The only thing that I can think of that an office building could e- somewhat easily convert to is like dormitory-style living. I I have a hard time seeing how you could – within the confines of, of the floor plates and cost, right? Because you're not going to be able to just get the building for nothing. Uh, it's still going to be worth something at some point, even if it's just for a cheaper office use, um, to, to justify the expenses of converting it into multifamily. Whereas like dormitory style living, I don't know what the demand is for that. Maybe if you're near a university, you can make it work. But, you know, people having to share bathrooms because all the plumbing is in the middle is... Not very desirable for the majority of people out there. Sucks, Tyler.
1: I'll send a, I- I'll send a link to uh, everybody in the chat here. We did a white paper on this. I think I was going to send it uh, after last time, and it was uh, up to one third of office buildings in fourteen major Amer- uh, North American markets could be used as residential through adaptive reuse. Uh, so, I mean, we they came up with this number. Uh, some of the methodology is is kind of in this. Uh, in this uh, white paper that we did. I'll send the link here and I'm sure you can, I'm sure there's a link within this link to actually go to the paper itself, but I'll pop that yeah. in, uh, I'll send that over to you and you can uh, you can distribute it.
0: Yeah, shoot that over. Maybe I can uh, screen share it real quick and we can kind of just walk through it.
1: Absolutely, so, so it uh, like. is the guest chat, I just popped it in there.
0: Oh, that's a good question. I don't even know how to access that. <laughs> um, do you here. have access to the to the comment section? I
1: yeah, I see the comment section here. I just don't see uh, comments from live viewers pop uh, this guy open. Oh, I don't see go. it. I found you it. You got Okay, cool. Yeah. So, I've never is, used that before. This is off the cuff, so I think this is the one where we looked at uh, the conversion of offices into residential spaces. Um, but yeah, it kind of goes through from like Austin, Texas, to Manhattan. You can kind of see this graph here of the amount of uh, units that potentially could be converted. Um,
0: oh, but man. we can—it's—it's yeah. it's all in French.
1: Uh, I'll convert it and send it to you. We can put a—we can put a <laughs> link out. Yeah, I noticed that too. I had to go to the top and be like, "Convert to English."
0: I'm like, "You Canadians, of- man!" Canadians. I, I was sitting here thinking, like, "Man, can Jesse just read this?" Like. <laughs> I was uh, impressed
1: because I'm pretty sure we did this in our Calgary office and as well as uh, I think this one is Toronto and Chicago. So it, it was just um, it, and there's another one I'll send a link to it, but it was basically going over the buildings, the type of buildings and basically the the the, the challenges and uh, opportunities with with conversion and what offices can most easily be converted to. But I've I've, I've read a quite a bit about this recently just because we've had people on the podcast talking about this. And there seems to be this like consensus that somewhere to a quarter or a third of buildings that are office buildings could be converted. My, my guess is that a lot of them would be outside of the downtown core, um, just because I find like it's just an easier thing to do with some of the buildings in the outskirts and the suburbs. But I mean, you know, maybe that kind of answers part of the question that we might be going that way with uh, with some of this. The question of how how big of a market that makes up, uh, and and how much like Chad Chad's thesis is, uh, you know, I weigh the two. Is it is it more that prices are going to come and and we're going to see the office market balance, or are we going to see kind of aggressive conversions?
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it would make sense if you look at like the way that office buildings are designed in the suburbs compared to downtown. You know, downtown everything is like very much in the very center of the building. So running any infrastructure to, you know, the far corner is far more difficult. Whereas, you know, I'm thinking back to some of the more suburban office buildings that I've seen, they typically have restrooms on both ends. Um, And so, you know, to run plumbing to both sides and to the middle from there is actually, it seems a lot easier, uh, but.
1: Yeah, you have center core and side core, um, like buildings, but it is, uh, it's definitely something where, you know, there was a. I think it's uh Soulfolk, uh, construction. Uh, he was on one of the like major real estate podcasts recently and he was saying that, um, the conversions that they see, a lot of people ask like, why don't they build, do you think we're going to see the future that people are going to build buildings that can be easily converted? And I think his point, and I'm not a construction expert. Um, he definitely is not, but he basically said that there would just be too big of a trade off. Uh, it was his opinion that, when you build specific for residential you're making a big trade off uh, that you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to do things on on the commercial side and vice versa. So the and it's a good question for somebody outside of our industry. Yeah, just make them so you can you have the flexibility. But I think that th- there's a kind of an engineering reality to that.
0: Yeah, I mean we've seen that uh in parking decks, right? That that yeah. became all the rage probably what 5 years ago where everybody was saying, "Oh, well, you know, Cars are going away at some point, so we're going to design all of our parking decks so they can be converted into something else. But even if that's the case, I mean, you think about how much work is going to have to go into that parking garage to get it remotely suitable to become anything other than a parking deck. It's still very tough, and those are being designed in that way. And there's no infrastructure there, right? Like, it's just concrete walls and floors. Yeah.
2: And 45-degree angles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah yeah
0: i mean you've got and they're all like different angle. i mean yeah. i i think about that every time i drive through a parking deck now i'm like how would you possibly convert this and make it make se-? i mean you've got to be tearing out ramps i don't know how else you do it crazy well i think that's pretty those are some pretty interesting points we've got to see how we can get flexible on the future uses of, uh, of our buildings. Um, Guys, any last points that we want to leave everybody with on, you know, the office environment or retail and where we're headed?
2: I would just say this is going to create opportunity. I mean, I think that obviously, the office guys are going through a lot of pain right now. And I think that we haven't even seen the beginning of of how it's going to the ramifications that will kind of, you know, go throughout the rest of the market and all the ripple effects that'll, that'll happen from all of these things going back to the bank. But, uh, I, I think it's going to create a lot of opportunities for people that are, are trying to look around corners and be flexible and trying to figure out a, how to, how to use those kind of derelict office buildings, but more so than that, like those people didn't just disappear, right? Like they're going to need different services and different products. Uh, and and maybe it's closer to their house, or maybe we're going to see little kind of micro uh, urban centers that are going to crop up um, now that the the kind of bloom is off the rose for the center city district. So I just think that I mean it's very easy to dwell on the issues and the problems and kind of the catastrophe that we're seeing at some of the downtowns. But uh, with that with that kind of turmoil, always comes opportunity. So um, I just want to keep my eyes open for those.
3: Yeah, I'd yeah completely I completely mean, echo uh, Adam's points there is is there There's no playbook for what we're going through. We've never gone through this before. We're an entire industry. The office, Mark, has been completely disrupted by one event in a very short period of time. It's almost like what Bud Light's going through right now. They don't have a playbook (laughs) for how to navigate through this. The office is kind of experiencing something similar to Bud Light. They just don't know what to do. But there there will be opportunities. The one thing that I've learned over 18 years I've been in this business is the real estate industry, there's some remarkably smart and creative people. People that will put their thinking hats on, and there'll be solutions and there'll be opportunities. It's just no one knows what it's going to look like. It'll, 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 we'll look back on this in like five, ten years from now, and this will seem so foreign to us because I think the solutions that will come will be crazy and unexpected. No, that's I think so you hit the nail funny. on the head.
2: I think we just we fill those office buildings with uh, undrank Bud Light. To just <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bud Light. We got to see so it. They they gotta put it somewhere. No vacancy. That industrial space work. is God,
0: in too high God. demand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna have to change the title of this to "Is Office the New Bud Light?" <laughs> that's storage great. Is office
2: the new. Bud Light Better storage. for clicks.
0: Awesome. Oh man, that's great. Well, guys, thank y'all so much. I will see y'all in two weeks. We'll have another topic. Uh, appreciate everybody joining us live. Uh, we'll see y'all later. Good
2: seeing you sure. guys. This episode
0: care. of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.